Two Sundays ago, I preached a message entitled, How a Plain, Simple Man Finds Peace. If you can remember that far back, uh, we use as our kind of the springboard, A.W. Tozer had a premise that if a plain, simple man living on a deserted island had a Bible wash up on shore, he would read that Bible and would come up with correct doctrine. With the Holy Spirit being his only teacher, he would read through the scriptures, and when he got all said and done, he would know what the Bible taught, and his doctrine would be correct. It is typically men who lead us astray, and they take us and they twist, they twist the Bible, but a man who only had the Holy Spirit as his teacher would come up with proper doctrine. The main teachings of the scripture are clear, and that man, just on a deserted island, would come to the main teachings of the scripture and be sound on those. And using that premise, we use the scripture to find out how a simple man with just his Bible would find peace. Now, when I was writing the final draft of that message, up until that point, I had no intention of using Tozer's illustration, the plain, simple man. But when I made the final draft, I wrote my notes out word for word, as I always do, this is the way that I believe the Lord led me, to use that illustration. And when I did that, I had no thought of continuing that thought. Nor did I have any thought of there being another message or the beginning of a series of con connected messages. I was just trying to follow where the Spirit of God leads. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm sure that he does. And I take great comfort in the fact that the Spirit of God knows where he is. But here I find myself again today with a message that I don't know where we're going after this. But the title of this message, this morning's message is, Our Plain, Simple Man Finds Love. Our Plain, Simple Man Finds Love. Let's pray. Father, we do not know where all you are taking us, but we know that it is a good place to go. And we ask that your spirit would so work this morning that every heart here would be touched. Lord, I'm asking for, that there would be no exceptions, that you would break through, even violently if necessary, every heart here, that you would go where your word needs to go to make a difference. Father, we are not seeking head knowledge, for we have much of that. But we are asking for a working of the Spirit of God that changes us and conforms us to the image of our blessed Savior. We have every right to do this, Father, because your Son has purchased all things. And we claim those this morning, asking for you to provide them in a usable form for us. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For the sake of our illustration, we have to, we have to assume that our poor, our, our plain simple man living on a deserted island has at least some previous knowledge. He has no maybe working knowledge of the scripture, 
but he has some knowledge about things. But just suppose before our plain, simple man finds the Bible washed up on the shore, suppose he finds a piece of paper floating in the water. Imagine how excited you would be. Try, and I want you to try to put yourself in that man's spot this entire time. How many of you have ever seen some kind of a, you're lost on a deserted island thing, and you've seen that, and you thought, I wonder what I would do in that situation. Anybody ever else do that? How would I survive? What would I do? Okay, I want you to take that thought process and put it in the whole time. Okay? So you, here's our man. He sees this piece of paper floating in the water. You know what you would do. You'd go out there, and you would retrieve that piece of paper. Now, suppose on this piece of paper, he, he finds it, and when he gets it out of the water, he spreads it on the sand to dry. As he looks, he, t he sees that this piece of paper contains a statement, a sentence. He knows that that is a sentence because there is a period at the end. There are three words in this sentence. The first word is legible. It's God. The second word is obliterated. It's all blurry and you cannot read it. And the third word is me. So he knows he has a sentence because there's a period after the word me. So he has the first word God, something, me. So our plain simple man puts it out on the sand to dry and sits down under the coconut tree to think. He is trying to decipher what is this message. Now, how would a man decipher what the message is? Well, the answer to that, if you're a thinking man, would be this. You decipher what you know about the first word, and you decipher what you know about the second word, and then you put the thing together. And that will help you decipher what the third, the middle word is. You understand that process? So our plain, simple man, looking at his piece of paper in the sun, as it dries, starts to think. What does he know about God? Now, there are several things that a plain, simple man living on a deserted island could know and reason about God. He could look up into the sky. At night, if you've ever been out someplace where there's no electric lights, which is where our man is, you'll know that when you look up into the sky, it looks a lot different than in, when you're in town. What's the difference? Stars. The amazing, massive amount of stars that you see out in when there's no electric light to prevent that is amazing. And our plain, simple man would look up into the sky and realize the one who created this is powerful. There is no way that this could be, have been created without power. So our plain, simple man would know that the God that he is trying to think through here, that's on this piece of paper, is a God who has power. Our plain simple man could watch the tides. He could watch the sea. He could watch the seasons. He could see how everything works together in, uh, around him. He could see how all of this is working and he'd say, you know what? God must be very wise. If you haven't paid attention to how our universe all works in, in sync, 
you haven't been paying attention. Because to make all this happen would be an incredibly difficult thing, and God must be powerful, and he must be wise. Our plain, simple man could examine the intricacies of the creatures in the ocean that are around him. I love freshwater fish. I, I used to have aquariums all the time. But the saltwater fish, have you ever looked at saltwater fish at any length? They are some of the most interesting creatures, especially the non-fish, the crustacean types, are some of the most intricate things. You look at them and think, how do they even live? How do they even exist? How is this even possible? And so our man sitting on this deserted island could watch all of these very intricate creatures and say, God is very creative. How else could there be all of these creatures of all these different things? He must be very creative. He must be very detail-oriented to make all of this happen. Depending on how smart our guy is, he may look at all the beauty around him. What can man deduce from the beauty around him? Sherlock Holmes fans know the answer to this. Because Arthur Conan Doyle wrote about this. It's a very interesting thought. Holmes says in one of his books, we have much to hope for in the flowers because only good gives extras. What does a flower need beauty for? And your answer is, there is no need for it. But God has filled this world with beauty. It could have been a monochrome world. It could have been a utilitarian world, meaning it strictly functions. Do you live in a strictly functioning world? Why do we have sunsets like we see? Why do we have sunrises? Why do, have you ever looked at, you young people don't do this. Any of you old people, older people, old people. I didn't look at Carol when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Any of you older people look at trees differently than you did when you were a kid? I'm finding myself looking at trees and saying, how amazing is that? That'll show you your age, by the way. <laughs> how amazing is that tree that it would grow like that? We live in not merely a functioning world. It does function very well, by the way. But we live in a beautiful world. And our thinking man would say, why are there, why is there beauty in this place? And the only answer is, because the one who created it is good and gives extras. God is good. So our plain thinking man, as he's looking at his first word, says, God, who is God? He's powerful, he's wise, he's creative, and he's good. He can at least reason that far, I think. Now he's got to reason out, what does he know about himself? That me stares him in the face. What does this, our plain thinking man, know about himself? How many of you here have ever seen the ocean from a, the, 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 the deck of a ship where all you can see is water all the way around you? Okay, quite a few of you. You'll understand this. I have seen the ocean a thousand times from the shore. 
I'm here to tell you there is something totally different about the view when you're out in the middle of it. You have one thought that nags at you when you were standing on a deck where all you can see from as far around you as you can see is water. You have one thought, and that thought is? Don't sink. <laughs> don't sink. <laughs> yes. Please, Lord, don't let the boat go down. You know what your thought is? Man, am I small. Man, am I small. Because you look out, and as far as you can see, there's water as far as you can go. And you look the other direction, and there's water as far as you can go. And you look the other direction, and, and you start to shrink in your size. I don't know what it is about that, but you start to shrink. And our man, plain, simple man, living on a deserted island, surrounded by water, knows I'm awful small here. I am a little insignificant nothing. And he looks up into the sky and he knows that this goes for as far as he could ever comprehend. And he is a nothing on a little tiny island on a little tiny planet in the middle of nowhere. And he says, I am insignificant in the overall spectrum of everything. There is nothing to me. What else does this plainsful man know? He knows he's insignificant. What else does he know? He knows himself on the inside. What does he know about himself on the inside? He knows that he is not what he ought to be. Now this may take you a little jump of your thoughts until you start thinking about it. Do you believe that greed, envy, Lust, self-pity, laziness, despair, pride, selfishness, hatred, grudge-holding, unforgiveness, only it exists in New York City. Do you not find all of those things in your own heart when you're in your own house by yourself? Do you not find these things? A man carries these things in his heart. And it doesn't matter if he is surrounded by an entire 8 million or how many people are in New York City now. If it doesn't matter if he's surrounded by those millions of people or if he's on a deserted island. In the secret places of his heart, he finds them lurking there even when he is all alone. He finds these things that are not right. He knows he should not be this way. Even on this deserted island, he finds his heart has things that are not as they ought to be. So our plain, simple man knows two things at least about himself. One, he is totally insignificant. And two, he is not what he ought to be on the inside. Okay, so he's staring at his piece of paper. On one hand, he has God who is powerful and wise and good. On the other hand, it's me. I'm insignificant, and there's, I'm not able to be what I ought to be. What possible verb can complete this sentence? As the thinking man, our plain man, sits contemplating. The one verb that comes to his mind is ignores. 
God ignores me. That meets all the criteria, doesn't it? He is powerful and wise and omnipotent and everything, and I am nothing. And if he ignored me, that would make sense. He thinks a little farther. He, that's best case scenario, by the way, if God just ignored him. His second thought, God despises me. That meets the facts too, does it not? A perfect, holy God who created this beautiful place and this man who is totally insignificant has filled it in his own heart with greed and lust and disobedience and hatred and grudge holding and these things he's added to this planet that was built beautiful. And God would have every reason to despise him. His logic brings him that far. Can you, can you follow this with him? He's sitting there with this piece of paper, God something me. And everything that logic will bring him is this powerful being would either totally ignore me or would totally despise me for who I am. As he comes to this conclusion, another crate comes floating up to the shore. He opens up the crate and finds in it a Bible. And our plain, simple man is going to learn something astounding at this moment. As he opens up the scripture, what is he going to find? He's going to find that the words that are blurred out on that piece of paper are one of great shock and the most illogical words that he could ever, ever think about from almost every vantage point. For the book that he opens up tells him that the word that completes the sentence is loves. God loves me. This denies and defies all of the logic that he has built in his mind trying to figure out what's going on here. No. Get hold of your mind for a second here. Pull your, all of your concentration in. I know that you have known from the very beginning of this message what the missing word was. I have known that you have seen this phrase a thousand times. I know that you've seen it printed on bridges and on billboards and on yo-yos and on smiley faces and on every possible trinket that you can imagine. I know that you have sung it in Sunday school and in junior church and on almost every service you have been in for your entire life. But I ask you now to lay that all aside. I ask you now to put yourself in that position of that plain, simple man stuck on a deserted island. You know that a perfect, powerful, wise God, you know that you are a poor, insignificant sinner. You know that that God ought to either ignore you or despise you. And now let the truth of the scripture wash over you for the first time like a wave of the ocean. God 
loves me. Can you not see our plain, simple man as he opens the book and sees this? For the very first time, God doesn't ignore me. God doesn't despise me. God, away from all logic and all that I could ever reason, loves me. It isn't some obscure teaching of the scriptures. God has not been secret about his love. Let's think about what our plain man reads in the scriptures. You've got your Bible there, Romans 5. Before he gets there, he reads John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You're there in Romans 5, verse number 8. But God commended or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Turn over one page. Romans chapter number 8. Verse number 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I continue on, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 3.19, and to know the love of Christ with passes knowledge. Ephesians 5.2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. 2 Corinthians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2.16, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. 2 Thessalonians 3.5, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Revelation 1.5, And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the king of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood. Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And our plain, simple man sitting there under his coconut tree with a blurred out piece of paper on the ground that says, God does something to me, opens up his book and finds out the word is, God loves him. My friend, this ought to shake us to our core. For it is totally, from our vantage point, illogical and we would have never assumed it. But it is the absolute truth. And our plain, simple man finds love, love from God. God, that wise, perfect, holy, omnipotent God, loves little, nothing, insignificant, you. Now, let's look quickly at what our plain, simple man will learn about this love. If you take notes, number one, we've already covered it. He finds out that he is loved. He finds out that he is loved. 
point number two that he finds. He finds that he is loved properly. He finds that he's loved properly. We don't know how long our plain, simple man has been on this deserted island. But if he's lived very long by himself, he may be totally unaware that people often use love as a tool. Have you not found this true in the world? In other words, much of the love expressed by people is not pure. Love is used to get what they want from somebody. Love is used to manipulate. Love is, an, is a means to an end. Very often what we experience from others is not proper love, but not, it's not pure love, but a love mixed with selfishness. But our plain, simple man will find, now that he realizes that God loves him, he will find that God's love is always pure and never selfish. He finds that being loved by God is to be loved properly. At every turn, at every event, he finds that he is being loved properly. Which brings us to our third thing that he finds. One, he finds that he's loved. Number two, he finds that he's loved properly. It's a pure, unselfish love that he's being loved with. Number three, he finds that he now knows what proper love is. He finds that he now knows what proper love is. You're going to have to think a little bit on this one. You're going to have to follow me here. And I think it will be a help if we move out of this realm into something we understand maybe a little more clearly. Let us discuss the realm of parenting. Everybody here, well, all of, most of the adults here have first-hand knowledge of parenting. All of us here have second-hand knowledge. We all have had parents. And so we all have knowledge in this at some level or the other, some more than others. It's funny, but this week, I didn't realize that I was getting a sermon illustration when all this was happening. But here we go. We were, Carol and I were in a flea market antique store, and we took a little time coming home, and surprise, surprise, for most of you who don't know me, I was in a flea market antique store looking for deals. We don't talk about that right now. Um, I saw on the wall in one of these booths a picture. The picture said, it was a plaque, the picture said, well done, Mom, I'm awesome. Well done, Mom. I'm awesome. So I took a picture of that plaque and sent it. We have a family chat with all the kids on it. And I sent that picture, that plaque, to the kids, and I said, okay, which one of you was here, and why does Mom get all the credit? I won't tell you all the responses we got back from that, okay? Well done, Mom. I'm awesome. We all understand, and we love, laugh about that. How many parents this morning will stand up and take a bow for your parenting abilities? 
<laughs> Some of the new parents might stand up on the thought that they're going to be these amazing parents. But all of us veterans of this parenting process, <laughs> you won't find any standards and bowers on that. We all know what this was like. Now let me scare you to death. The old adage, you parent as you were parented, is true to a large degree. You parent as you were parented. Now think about that in terms of your grandkids. And the average parent here at this moment is saying, no! Are you not? You want to run up to your kids and fall on your knees and grab them around the legs and say, don't make those mistakes! Those are my grandkids and don't make those same mistakes. Right? You're not out standing and take about a few things. You say, you know, I actually did that right. I don't know how I did it, but I, that actually came out pretty decent. But a lot of you are saying, it was wrong. I didn't, I shouldn't have done that. That was the mistake. And don't make those on my kids. And you're hoping your kids will be able to see through that and say, mom and dad blew that. And I shouldn't probably do it that way. That's what you're hoping for. So that they don't make the same mistake on your grandkids. We all understand that, right? I think that's not a, you know, somebody says, what's he talking about? We all understand that. Because we know what proper would have been. But do you realize when God loves you? Put it back in the realm now. His love has always been proper. In every situation, on every occasion, his love is proper. And you say, how do I love in that situation? You already know. How were you loved in that situation by God? And so you already know what proper love is because you have the perfect example. You have been loved properly entirely. And so you don't have to try to filter out, how did this go? Like your parenting skills. You're hoping your kids will filter that out. You have been loved properly. And our plain, simple man now knows, I know how to love properly because I have been done so by God. This is an amazing thought if you can get a hold of it. Our standard of love, our definition of love, our practice of love doesn't come from the world. It doesn't have to come from our best guess. We don't have to try to correct all the improper love that's been done to us by the world. We know what proper love is because God has always loved us properly with a pure, unselfish love. What a blessing that'll be in your life if you can get a hold of it. What did a plain man find? He finds that he's loved. He finds that he's loved properly, but he also finds that in that love, 
He knows what proper love is. And what else does he find? Number four, he finds in that love his love for God. He finds in that love his love for God. Our plain, simple man sitting on that deserted island may look up into the sky and see how massive God is, how awesome he must be. And in those thoughts, he will may develop reverence for God. He may, if he continues to think this through, start to develop a fear of being afraid of God. Now, this would be, bear, be borne out in almost all of the historical civilization research that you find. When we find these tribes out in the middle of nowhere that have no outside contact, those are all gone now, by the way, but back in the day when they were finding this, what did they find? In all of these old civilizations and all these people that were way lost out in the middle of no place, they were all worshiping somebody, and they were scared to death of him. They were sacrificing sometimes human lives in order to appease this God. So our plain, simple man sitting on the beach looking up into the sky may develop a reverence for, his, for that God. He may develop a fear for that God, but in his heart he will not find any love for him. He will be scared to death, potentially, of that God, but he will not find love in his heart. Nor with all of the work that he can conjure up, he cannot conjure up any love in his heart for that God. But you know what he finds is a strange thing? When he finds out that that God loves him, he finds himself in such an ocean of love that he finds that God has enough love for the both of them. And he finds it is a reflective love. And in the love of God, he finds his love for God. He finds his heart opening up, something he could have never done sitting on that beach all by himself, trying to contemplate or drum up love for this being. When he finds out that God loves him, and he concentrates on that, he finds his love for God. And he finds his heart totally consumed love for God. He finds in the love of God his love for God. That's what he finds. How do we know this to be true? Because God said it. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And in God's love we find our love for him. And this, our plain simple man, finds his love for God in God's love for him. And one last thing our plain, simple man finds out. He finds that God's love can flow through him to others. He finds that God's love can flow through him to others. Our plain, simple man sitting on the beach, depending on how long he's been there, may not know something that you know full well. Put yourself on the deserted island. 
Would you be lonely? If you don't know the answer to that, you've not been alone for very long. If you talk about the guys who got the guy who went up to uh, the North Pole, he's all by himself. He's, that was about what killed him off, was the fact that there was no human contact. The lack of human contact. Most of us have so much human contact, we just say, give me my space. But if you had that space for very long, you wouldn't want it any longer. The desire for human contact is built within us, no matter how much of a loner you are. All the mountain men still came out of the mountain every now and then. Why? Because there's something about human contact. So our plain, simple man is wanting human contact. He desires of it. He yearns for it. Now, once he gets back to civilization, answer this question. How long will it take him to figure out that many people aren't lovable? How long, <laughs> how long will it take? He's yearned for this human contact. How long will it be before he says, enough already? I forgot that people are just like me. The reality is we're not very lovable. And around you are, su are completely surrounding you are people who are not lovable. I won't ask you to raise your hands this morning and say, how many people have people around you who aren't lovable? Because I'm afraid that some of you might look at the person next to you and say, they are not. And <laughs> we don't want any of that here the next morning. All of us have people around us who aren't lovable. So how in the world are you going to conjure up love for people who by definition and by action are not lovable? And our plain, simple man finds the answer. He finds that the love wherewith he is loved, because he is not lovable, it can, if you'll allow it, flow right on through him. It flows to him, through him, and out to those unlovable people. And this plain, simple man finds himself loving the unlovable. Why? because it's the love of God that just flows right on through him. And he finds that this is an amazing discovery in this very difficult world that we live in, where we are surrounded by people who are undeserving of love, just like us, who are not very lovable, just like us. And he finds within the love of God the ability to love the people around him. Our plain, simple man finds love. He finds that he himself is loved. He finds that he is loved properly. He finds that now he knows what proper love is. He finds in that love his love for God. And he finds that that love will flow right on through him as it flows to him and through him to the people around him. Our plain, simple man finds love. And the question is, have you found that love a plain, simple person should have found? The scripture is incredibly clear on this matter. Our plain, simple man.